May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. In 1998, my wife Abby and I left our ancestral home in Springfield, Ohio, to, um, to head to the Commonwealth, a state that called itself a Commonwealth, in order for me to pursue a seminary education. Uh, it, irony abounds in Kentucky, because as it turns out, wealth isn't all that common. Um, and besides that, the people preferred their grass to be blue instead of the traditional green. But nevertheless, we fell in love with the Commonwealth of Kentucky, we loved the people there and the state and learned a lot about, um, about life and ministry and those sorts of things. And after we lived in, in Kentucky for a number of years and I finished that degree, we moved to Canton. And then from Canton back to Kentucky to do another degree. And then from Kentucky to Circleville. And then from Circleville to Hudson, where we plan to stay until the Lord returns. <laughs> I realized just this year that it's been 16 years, more than a decade and a half, since I left my hometown, Abby left her hometown, to start this uh, journey of ministry. We, of course, still have many friends and family in, in Springfield, Ohio, down near Dayton. We, we don't visit these people nearly as much as we would like to. We love them. Um, we don't go very often because, like you, our lives are busy. And like many of you, our children have even busier lives than we do. And I would dare say far more interesting ones, probably, too. But we go as often as we can. Um, we, we, we try to make at least an annual pilgrimage during Thanksgiving, a, a holiday that fortunately falls in the middle of the week for our clergymen. That almost never happens, and so we have an opportunity to go down there. And, and, and we try to squeeze as much you know, fun, hilarity, and dysfunction as you can possibly get in a single weekend you know, or a few days together. But I've noticed this, and perhaps you've noticed this yourself, and if you've moved away from your, your home, hometown or, or you know, your, your birth family and you've been away for a while, when you go back, everything's different. You sort of feel like you're in a foreign country in some ways. You, know, you, you, um, you think everything that was so familiar now seems sort of odd. I even notice that people in southern Ohio talk a little funny now, you know, um, did you all ever notice that? I mean, that's just it's sort of a strange thing. I never noticed it before, but I hear it now. And then the sort of landscape, the things that I had become so familiar with had changed. You know, new roads, new buildings, new bridges, new stuff all around. The old stuff even sort of looks quite different. The things that I became so familiar with. And I asked Abby on the way home, I said, do you ever feel like we've lived like 14 lives? You know, like, like we've lived all these different existences. And maybe, have you ever felt that? Have you ever gone to a place, been somewhere that used to be so familiar, and you go back and it looks so different? The people are different. They're the same, and yet they're different at the same time. I think it's odd how fast we can go to a new normal. The once normal becomes a new normal. And then when you go back to the old normal, it's not normal at all. It's odd. It's strange. In our lives, we have experienced um, a lot of this, you know, sort of transient stuff. But the thing that we've noticed is that we have always, or almost always, gone from blessing to blessing. It's always been, you know, a new group of people. And it was sad and it was painful to leave the, the, the people behind. But as we, as we transitioned, we realized that we found new friends that loved us, brought us in like family, welcomed us. 
And maybe you've experienced that too, where you have a new normal with new friends. Not the old one's not bad, it's not gone. It's, it's still there. Still, you can still recover some of it, but it's different. If you're lucky, the new normal is just as good as the old normal. Sometimes it's even better. And sometimes it's not. Sometimes the new normal is not. Sometimes it's, it's, it's a little scary and you, you long for the good old days. You know, take me back to those good old days. And you think about those, those good old days. Um, you know, I know like when my kids went off to college, it was funny when they would call me up and say, oh, you know, I wish mom would make a, you know, I just want to come home. I want a roast and potatoes and green beans. And I'm like, when you lived here, you complained about that stuff, you know. You never wanted to. And now, here's where you want it. Oh, the good old days. They're better in the mind maybe than they were. You get to high school, all kinds of drama maybe in the hallways. And you think, man, oh, those good old days of middle school. But you hated middle school. You wanted to get to high school. And now you're there and it's not nearly as good as you thought it was. Maybe your grandma talks about, oh, you know, the good old days of the 40s, you know, or the 30s. Or the, I don't know how old your grandma was. Maybe she's like, oh, the Civil War, that was a great time. Um, you know, maybe they look back on the good old days and, you know, think about, oh, if we could only go back there. I've heard church people say that all the time. Well, back in my day, you know, and they tell me about what happened back in their day. It's not the same anymore. Sometimes we can wax nostalgic for no good reason. You know, we can say things like, well, I remember the good old days when ice cream cones were a nickel. <laughs> really? Well, not a nickel anymore, you know. Or um, I remember back when summer lasted 500 days. Or my biggest problem was passing my science test on Friday. I remember when Hudson only had 1,000 residents. I had somebody tell it to me. I remember when Hudson only had 1,000 residents. There's a thousand people in the middle of the square when you go down there now, sir. I remember when I could see my own toes. I don't know. Those were good old days. We can remember, and we can wax nostalgic about the good old days. But you know what? There are people who have been in situations of real difficulty. Real difficulty. And for them, thinking about the good old days is quite a bit different than the way we wax nostalgic the way we sort of feel sorry for ourselves and, and you know, want along for those good old days. I mean, imagine yourself in the middle of war, maybe in England, in London, when bombs are falling all around you and you don't know if you're going to make it through the night. Imagine yourself in Poland. Germans come rolling across the border. Or France. Imagine yourself being a Jew trying to live under the Third Reich. You started thinking about the good old days in a different way then, wouldn't you? It would be days where I could just go through the day without worrying about being murdered. Imagine yourself being a child today living in Iraq or Syria. What it must be like to just try to get through a day, to just try to go to school, to just try to exist. Imagine what it must have been like if maybe you've been through this, through a depression, where everybody lost their jobs, where money was very difficult to come by, and just getting something to eat. Maybe you lost somebody that you really loved. A grandparent, a parent, a spouse, God forbid, a child. In the good old days, thinking about times where somebody that you really longed for, now is gone. 
That's sort of the background to the text that we have in Isaiah. If you're not familiar with the passage, you have to know just a little bit about the history of Israel. Israel had divided into two countries, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom became sort of rampant with idolatry. And um, they, they became a, a country that was, um, that was just kind of headlong into corruption and idolatrous practices. And God sent preachers, God always sends preachers, to say, hey, it's time to stop, repent, turn around, or face destruction. And the preachers came, and this is their message they preached, and the northern people, the, kingdom, the people of the northern kingdom refused to repent. And in 722 B.C., the Assyrians came in. The Assyrian army and leveled the northern kingdom capital cities, their smaller towns, took people off into exile, and then repopulated the homes with expatriate Assyrians in order to control the area. The people of the northern kingdom intermarried with the Assyrians and eventually were, were gone. They, they simply ceased to exist as, as a part of the family of the people of Israel. And in the southern kingdom, they held out a little bit longer, but in, in the year 587 B.C., the same sort of thing happened. Rampant corruption, oppression of the poor, uh, idolatrous practices, and again, prophets came. This is the, this is the Old Testament proph- prophetic literature. Prophets came, they preached the same message, repent or face destruction. And the people didn't repent. And again, just like with the Assyrians, the Babylonians this time came, leveled the city of Jerusalem, destroyed the southern cities and and towns, and took the people into exile. But here's where the story sort of changed. There were only two tribes left, Judah and Benjamin. And in exile, these people decided to maintain their identity. They realized that they had brought upon themselves this this punishment. And so they, they, they maintained their identity as Jews and lived as faithful Jews in exile the best they could. And 50 years later, a Persian king named Cyrus comes along and says, you know, we don't want these. The Babylonians are no longer in charge. The Persians are. And the the Persians say, go home. Can you imagine having been removed from your home for 50 years? Your children grew up hearing stories, having never seen their ancestral home. Oh, you you would love Jerusalem. What a beautiful city it is. You will love the the temple and all this. and, And... And then you go home 50 years later and the city is laid to waste. There is no temple. It's been destroyed. The homes are are filled with people who were squatters and and Babylonian expatriates and, and all these other sorts of people and none of your family lives there. And they don't want you there as a returner. You come back trying to find the old home you longed for and it's gone. And oh, for the good old days, Oh God, what's going on? We thought you were going to return us home. And we come home and this isn't what we thought we would get. Where are you? Why are you not here? Help us. And here's what they pray in Isaiah 63, before our lesson tonight, this morning rather. We have become like those over whom you have never ruled. Like those who were not called by your name. God, we feel like we've been abandoned by you. Like we never ever belonged to you. Like, you never knew us at all. And that's where we get to this morning. And they continue, Oh, that you would rend the heavens. Did you hear the lesson this morning? That you would rend the heavens. That you would tear open the skies and come down. That you would enter into our world in the midst of all this difficulty. That you would help us. They've seen God's goodness. 
But they've also seen God's punishment. And they know that God could do great things. They know that if He would act on their behalf, all the nations of the earth would tremble. They would be fearful. They would, they would, they would flee if only God would step in. But right now, that's not the situation. Life is anything but rosy. It's difficult. They're being politically harassed. They're being physically harassed. They face injustice constantly. Oh Lord, please come down and make things right for us. And then verse 4. From of old no one has heard or perceived by the ear, nor I has seen a God beside you who acts for those who wait for Him. Everything around is messed up. Nothing is the way they wanted. Everything is completely out of whack. And it's very difficult. It's not just like a little hardship. It's like real hardship. And yet they say, we know that you are the God who acts for those who wait for Him. That if we hold on, if we remain faithful, that you will act, you will do for us what only you can do. There's a day coming... The people of Israel believe in the middle of all their difficulties, there's a day coming that is better than the good old days. Something is out in the future that's better than the way it used to be. Much better. Today is the first day of the year. You're like, no, it's not. I checked the calendar before I left. It is not the first day of the year and our priest has lost it. No, today is really the first day of the year. It is the first day of the first week of Advent, the beginning of the new year. Advent begins the the church calendar, which is four Sundays before Christmas. That's right. You have three left (laughs) before Christmas. We're we're a month before Christmas. and, And the message of Advent is, look for the Lord. He has come once he is coming again. In fact, it's a, two, it's a multi-directional um, uh, sort of viewpoint. Look forward, but also look back. Look to the coming of the Lord and remember that He has already come. It reminds us that the story of Israel is also the story of Jesus. That His story is Israel's story. That, that, that tale I was telling you about being in exile and returning home and the good old days are ahead of us is the story of Jesus. Hold on. Wait for it. He's coming. 587 B.C. That's a long time to wait. 2000 A.D. It's been a long time to wait. But God is faithful to His people who hold on. Those who hold on and wait. Oh, that He would rend the heavens and come down. Guess what? He did. That's the message of Advent. He would rend the heavens and came down. And what did we do? We beat him and crucified him. And he rose again because the story didn't end. And he ascended into heaven and he says, I will come again. That's the story. That's Israel's story. That's our story, the story in the church. And it's not complete until that second advent. And what do you do in the waiting? What happens in the waiting? What happens in the time between Jesus' first advent and his second? Well, a lot of stuff. Some of it good, and some of it painful. This morning, we get to baptize two young children. I mean, what a great joy that is. Welcome them into the family of God, 
to, to, to uh, affirm their value in their own family and, 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 it, and around the world, that they belong and are marked by Christ and sealed as His own forever. That bring great joy into the lives of their families. Great time to celebrate. Besides this, we have lots of other good things happening to us, don't we? Most of you have plenty of food to eat. Some of you had way too much food to eat. I'll include myself in that, especially this last weekend. We have, we have good accommodations to live in. Most of us stay warm most of the time. Food is plentiful. Shelter is abundant. We travel in luxury. We travel in comfort. We're relatively safe in our homes and communities. Very few people have bars on their windows, though some do. And yet, in the middle even of these great luxuries, in the middle of this great sense of blessing, there's still difficulty, isn't there? There's still hardship to face. There's still things that that bring great deal of pain. Disease. Depression. Divorce. Death. All All these things that cause us to shudder, that we can't escape, that we live in the middle of. Right now, in the world, there are children who die of starvation. Right now. Starvation-related diseases. There are mothers who will bury their children because they got bit by a mosquito and got malaria and died. In this world, there are little children who have been beheaded because they are Christians. This is the world we live in. A world where there's this, this strange juxtaposition of great comfort, wealth, Privileged blessing and great pain and suffering at the same time. There are riots in our streets, politicians who exploit the poor. There are, there are all sorts of, of difficulties that exist simultaneously. And if we begin to look at the latter more than the former, it's not very long until we say, How long, O Lord? How long until you rend the heavens and come down? And it's not very long until we feel abandoned. Lord, where are you? There's so much suffering. There's so much need. I heard the story of a um, of a preacher who uh, who was preaching a sermon, and in the sermon, he 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 pulls out a hundred dollar bill. Knowing preachers as I do, I think he must have borrowed it. Um, but anyway, he pulls out a hundred dollar bill, and he and he holds it up, and he says, "You know, who here would like this one hundred dollar bill?" And hands went up all over the, the, the congregation. Oh, yeah, I'll take it, you know, a lot of people. And so he takes it and he crumbles it up. And then he says, all right, now who wants it? People sort of looked around at one another and then, well, yeah, I'll take it. Bring me that. I'll take a crumpled up $100 bill. And so he throws it on the ground and he stomps on it. Gets a shoe print all over it. Picks it up, crumbles it some more and says, now who wants it? <laughs> Give it to me. I'll take it. People, hands up all over the congregation. And he says to them, I think we've learned an important lesson. No matter what I've done to this bill, it has not lost a bit of its value. And no matter what's happened to us, what kind of evil we've endured, what kind of evil we have perpetuated, we belong to God. We are marked by Him. And those of us who wait for Him will find that the days ahead are going to be far greater than the good old days behind. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.